The galaxy has spoken. Hang on. Guardians is Marvel Studios at its best. Now, listen to them. Explain why in more detail. Go! Rolling Stone calls it a wild summer ride. Yeah! It's laugh out loud funny. Epic. It's out of this world. Good. Wait, it's out of what? It's metaphorical! Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, rated PG-13, everywhere May 5th. Hello, folks. Hello. Welcome to Treks and Sci-Fi. This is Rico, and you are listening to the podcast. Yes, you are. And it is May 7th, 2017. This is going to be podcast, podcast, podcast. Oh, that sounded terrible. This is going to be podcast 634, and today we're going to do what I always call a classic-style show. We're going to talk about a Star Trek episode, one from the original series, actually one of the few that are left. It's getting harder and harder to figure out which ones I I have not covered. Uh, there aren't a lot of the original series, but today we're going to cover one from season three, called Is There In Truth No Beauty, which I'm pretty sure that I have never covered. Uh, this is the one with the Miranda Jones and the, the uh, Medusa and Ambassador Kalos and uh, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's good with uh, guest star Diana Mulder, and if that rings any bells. So um, the, uh, yeah, that's going to cover that. Uh, not going to play actually the whole episode. With the original series, I tend to just do clips and then talk about the show a bit more, maybe. Uh, that um, That's usually the way I've done it. But anyway, so that's what I'm going to cover for the most part of the show. We're also going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I won't spoil it since it just came out a few days ago, but I saw it and enjoyed it. So I'll talk a little bit briefly about that. Talk about um, uh, some other things, TV, movies. Just a lot of stuff geeky going on. I mean, we're in the month of May. The summer movies are really starting to churn, you know, gear up and everything. So, uh, yeah. Hey, let's do this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. All right, again, welcome to the podcast, folks. Always appreciate you listening uh, and downloading the episodes. Uh, if you're new to the show, welcome. If you've been here a long, long time, welcome back again. I always appreciate everyone uh, who has been with the show a long time. And I'm happy to get uh, you know some new listeners. It, the uh, it, It's funny about podcasts and things. It seems like people kind of get into a groove about sh of shows they listen to every now and then like I, I listen to a handful of, of podcasts and every now and then I try to slide a new one in and listen to them for a while and, and go back and forth on it uh, I've been listening to more audiobooks these days in the car so I probably don't listen to quite as many podcasts as I used to uh, maybe three or four years ago or two or three years ago even um, but um, yeah I'm actually going to start the uh, first of the aftermath Star Wars books. I, I started to read it uh, before, 
you know, reading the, the book book, but I, I decided to get the download of the audio book and, and listen to it uh, instead. I, I know the first of that trilogy is not the greatest of the Star Wars books, but I, uh, Chris, Chris and uh, Joe, we talked a little bit about that when we were at Celebration. I, they kind of said, well, you should probably read that one. The other ones get a lot better, but you should still probably read the first. So I'm going to do that. Um, but yeah, uh, it, you know, it's interesting to read uh, or listen to to these books in the car. I, I do enjoy that now. And uh, I just finished this um, this new book uh, that I was reading called Time Bound by Risa Walker, uh, which the, is the start of a series about time travel, a young girl oh she's a teenager i think like 17 in the book it starts out i think it's technically a ya book a young adult book but um i i didn't find it all that like immature i don't know if that that's probably maybe not the best way to describe young adult but i think i said this on the podcast not too long ago but i i don't know this whole idea of young adult what that means for a book i, I really don't and it's not always hard. It, it, sometimes it's not easy to even know if it is a, a young adult classified book or not. Uh, I just hear something that has a good premise. This is about a, a, a young, like I said, a young uh, teenage girl who learns that uh, her family has this uh, ability to time travel, and I won't say too much more than that. Uh, uh, but um, but anyway, uh, I liked it, and I'm gonna probably going to read the, I think there's two others in the series, I think. So time bound, if you're interested at all. It's a pretty quick Quick listen or quick read, uh, pretty pretty well done, I thought, um, and I'm going to continue, I think. So what else? What else has been going on? I I decided, oh, first off, I want to say thanks to the Stacks folks, Chris and Jen and Joe, uh, for uh, letting me use their show on, on what they, when they covered Celebration and the Last Jedi trailer. I uh, used that as a guest spot last week. Thank you guys and 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 Jen too uh, for for letting me do that. Uh, I, I thought that would be fun because it, it gives me a little different perspective on on celebration and what those guys had to say. And I was going to try to be on that show. It just didn't work out for me. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a really good time. And then I realized after even I did my video cast. Uh, and if you want to watch that, it's over over at Vimeo V I M eo.com uh, forward slash Trekkie. Uh, you can find the, the videos over there for that. Um, the uh, the thing that I realized that I didn't really do, even though I played the video for it in the vidcast, where we're watching the Last Jedi trailer, is I, I didn't talk really too much about the trailer, like my reaction exactly, or on the vidcast very much. I, I liked it. I mean, of course, of, of course I liked it. You know, I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was... It was about what we would um, probably expect and hope for for a first teaser trailer uh, for The Last Jedi. I think there's a lot of things in that. It, it, it On the surface, it appears like they don't tell you or show you much, but I think there's a lot of nuance and things in there that is giving us some pretty good clues about maybe the way this movie is going to turn out. Uh, I, I'm really excited by what we're going to see. It's going to be great to see Luke. Uh, older Luke and, you know, what the whole, what's going on and, you know, learn more about Ray, of course. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see this. I, I, you know, the first, The Force Awakens, when they brought it back, there's a lot of, I mean, I love that movie a lot. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but there's a lot of people that said it was kind of a retread of a lot of things that Star Wars has done before. I, 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 yeah, there's something to that, I think a bit. 
uh, looking on it now with a couple of years or so of or a year and a half or whatever of perspective. But the the next one, the Last Jedi. I mean, they've got a they've they've really set things up now with this new cast and these new characters to to really branch out and to do something. I mean, the Ryan Johnson, you know, talked at Celebration and he talked about how. Th- a lot of this movie is going to explain about, you know, Luke and why did he just sort of run off and, and that. I mean, we, we know a little bit of that from The Force Awakens. You know, he started to try to train Jedi and, you know, that was, was Ben, you know, Han and Leia's son, Ben, you know, was one of them. And, and that didn't turn out so good because he came, became all nasty evil and got a freaky tri- triple-bladed lightsaber and, and wiped everybody out, basically. So uh, it's... um. I, it, I, I know I could see that Luke would feel bad about that, but it's like, wouldn't he want to stick around and stop him too? You know, it, it, I, that that's the part that I have a hard time understanding. Luke, you know, he faced his father, he faced Vader. The uh, this idea that you know Kylo Ren did what he did, and that Luke like would just he just walks away from that that situation. Yeah, I can see him walking away from not wanting to train more Jedi, it's like, oh, well, that's not working out so good. Uh, but um, although it really does look like he's going to be training Ray from the little, little bit that you see in the teaser. It, and, but I just, I'm like, well, why did he back away from it all like that? Maybe, maybe he didn't realize Kylo Ren was Kylo Ren and going to do what he did. Maybe that, you know, after he wiped out the whole, whatever new Jedi. Um, but anyway, well, we'll see. I just hope it's not um, brushed over. I hope we learn a lot. I hope we get a lot of depth and interesting detail of all that time. So, yeah, but the trailer is is very cool. And I think it's very reminiscent of other trailers. Uh, Jen mentioned that. And, you know, I, I just, uh, I think the, um, I think that's intentional. You know, I think they want the styles to sort of mesh up a bit and have, you know, George Lucas always, and I know he's not really that involved with, with the current stuff that's going on in the movies, but he sort of set the stage for that. You know, he, he sort of set the stage for this, this history repeating itself kind of idea throughout Star Wars. You know, this, this idea of good and evil and, 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 and just the, the, the there's, there's always, you know, another out there and, and so forth. I, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but I think you guys know what I mean. I mean, I think, I think these, you know, these patterns and things weaving in and out that have similarities, I think that's always been part of Star Wars, and I, I think that's what makes it interesting and special. And so, again, I think that's completely intentional in terms of the way the these movies look and even how they do the teasers and the trailers and so on. Yep, super excited. Um, yeah, let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> it's, uh, Lynn and I went to see it on Thursday night because I like to do that uh, when new movies come out because first you get a lot of the really, really nerdy, hardcore uh, fans, especially in this case comic book fans. The uh, You know, they used to do these midnight showings uh, on Thursday night because then it was uh, technically still Friday, right? Because they would show a midnight Thursday night they were allowed to show movies, you know, that were coming out on Friday because it was Friday at that point. Well, they've somehow made deals now where they're allowed to show these movies in the evening on Thursday before the official opening day. Usually seven o'clock is shows times that kind of time, which is what we went to seven on Thursday to see it. Pretty good crowd, probably about three quarters full in the theater, give or take. 
uh, got there way early. <laughs> when we got there, there was hardly anybody there. I mean, I expected a few people, but it was really, really the weather on, on Thursday here in Michigan was terrible. It was raining crazy. It was cold. It's better now. We've got about a 50-degree day. Sun's out. So that's, uh, I know to some people, you know, it's it's May. A 50-degree day doesn't seem so good. Fahrenheit I'm talking about, of course. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've had a, a lot of rain in the last few days. So we went to see it on Thursday. I uh, got a big bucket of popcorn, sat there and watched and, and, and really enjoyed it. I mean, Lynn, she's not that much, I've said many times, uh, into these comic book type films. But Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, she enjoyed a lot. So this one uh, she went to or want, you know wanted to see it, too. So we went to see it, and yeah, I, I thought it was great. I'm not going to spoil it, not going to say too much. I mean, it's very much, I mean, a, the easy thing to say is if you like the first one, you'll like this one. I mean, is it better, worse? I'm not even going to talk about that. I, I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed it um, very much, a lot of humor, and a lot of character stuff here. I, I, I mean, I can say that. I think there's a lot more character stuff and a lot more depth to this movie in a way than, I mean, nothing against the first one. The first one's a great movie. Uh, but this one, they got to put a chance to put a little bit more of that in there. So that was kind of neat to see. And, and uh, again, this cast is just great. And, and Kurt Russell um, guesting in this. And it's in the trailers, you know, the character he plays. I don't know if I want to say it here in case you haven't seen the trailers. But he does a great job in this movie. I mean, Kurt Russell, uh, I've actually seen him in two movies recently. He was in the, the, the latest Fast and the Furious, Fate of the Furious, which I just saw a couple of weeks back. And he's in that, and he's in, um, of course, this Guardians of the Galaxy. He's got a pretty big role in this movie, and he's just great. I've liked Kurt Russell forever. I mean, I watched him when I was a kid in those old Disney movies and, uh, of course, Escape from New York and, and, and The Thing and, and just on and on and on. I mean, Kurt Russell, somebody I read an article somewhere where something somebody said something like, we should just... You know, Kurt Russell should be like, you know, carved on a mountaintop or something as a national American treasure because that guy, he still does, he he really, really brings a, a lot to these, to the movies to this day. Uh, a lot of his personality, he makes it look so easy, but it's, there's also, there's also so much there in, you know, his performances. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll watch Kurt Russell in anything pretty much. So not that I would, you know, I would have seen this movie if, if anybody, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy was great. So this, um, but that was certainly perfect casting, I felt. Uh, he looks very much and acts very much like he could be uh, the character he plays. Uh, so that's about all I'll say about that. But yeah, great movie, a lot of fun, good way to start kind of the summer in a way uh, that, you know, we're going to get um couple other biggies this this month we're going to get alien the new alien covenant movie uh pirates of the caribbean i think there's another one well baywatch they're advertising a lot not really sci-fi i i probably won't see that i was never really a fan of the old show although although i have to say this trailers for this new movie make it look kind of fun and 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 dwayne the rock johnson uh you know i, I just think the guy's got a hundred and million percent charisma i mean I'll, he's fun in in just about every movie he's in too so uh I'll probably watch it one day on Netflix or whatever. But uh, so uh, lots of stuff to see. Um, trying to check the time. Let's take a very short break. I think I will. I need to get a little drink of tea, and then I'll come back talk a little bit about TV, and then we will get into the Star Trek episode. Is there in truth no beauty? Question mark. 
Imagine yourself strolling the streets of Coruscant, leading a squadron of elite X-Wing pilots, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Dark Lord of the Sith. You can. All you have to do is crack open a book and listen to the Star Wars Stacks podcast and book club. Each month, your hosts Joe, Chris, and Jen take you on a guided tour of the expanded universe. The hosts begin the reviews with a non-spoiler synopsis and analysis to help you decide whether it's worth a read before sounding a spoiler alert and delving into the story in great detail. Subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Find the Star Wars Stacks on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, and SWStacksShow.com. The Star Wars Stacks Podcast and Book Club. It's fun. It's immersive. It's Star Wars. All right, television. Um, lots of stuff on TV. Most shows are kind of wrapping up. Uh, the the uh, CW comic book type shows are back. They were off for a few weeks. Yeah, and I'm talking about uh, Supergirl, The Flash, and Arrow. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow has finished up. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back as well. Uh, the, the CW shows I, I, I really enjoy a lot. I, I look forward to those every week. I, I watch them the night they air. Uh, you guys all know that. Uh, the Flash has had a really good season, real interesting season. I, I think Arrow's had a really interesting one, too. And Supergirl, I'm glad that it's it was able to stick around and that CW picked it up. And season two has been good. I, I think they're all coming back next year. I don't think I've heard anything different. So uh, so that's good. I'm also uh, I'm working my way through Iron Fist because I got super uh, excited. Well, I got a little behind. I, I started to watch it. And then I about, I'm about midway through it, episode six or seven. And, and then just a lot of other things came up. And I kind of I'm getting back to it now because they just released that Defenders this is the Netflix Marvel shows that Defenders trailer. I think they're going to start that series in this summer, they say. So I think it's August, I think. Um, but that looks really good with Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, of course, Mar uh, Daredevil, Matt Murdock, and uh, Iron Fist. Did I say them all? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm enjoying this Iron Fist show. There's a lot of talk that it wasn't so good. I, I think it's good. I like it. I like the main guy who's playing Iron Fist, and, and I, I'm enjoying it. I don't know. Um, we'll see at the end, but uh, I, I, I think it's uh, it's uh, it's a good show. So the other thing that I just watched, the very first episode last night, finally, um, of this new star show based on a Neil Gaiman book, uh, American Gods, uh, which I don't think I, – I, I thought at first that I had read this book a while ago – but I don't think I did. It, there's a lot of things that seem familiar to me when I, when I watched the first episode. Uh, so maybe I did read the book. I don't know. But uh, this is a wacky, not wacky, kooky, but this is a crazy show. Um, it's very adult. I'll, I'll warn people about that right off the bat. Um, as in there is some there is some nudity. This is a, a little bit of Game of Thrones style uh, show here. So j just so you guys know, it's on stars. Um but uh, real interesting first episode, real interesting cast, characters, and so forth. It's basically about um, about gods, you know, let's call it lowercase g, uh, that live among us and have certain um, characteristics. 
you know, like there's a god of technology and media, for example, and they rule over kind of the the world and America and, uh, you know, and, and influence things and people and stuff. And at least that's what I'm gathering from the, the trailers, from the first episode and a little few other little things that I've read. So uh, very hard to explain, but if you, uh, if you get a chance to watch this show, I, I think it's going to be pretty good. I'm really looking forward to um, the next episode. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, and, oh, and Doctor Who is back, been watching that. I didn't watch this week's episode yet, um, but I, I am enjoying the new uh, companion, uh, Bill. Uh, seems to be a good character. She's fun and seems to be a good balance to the Doctor. Uh, so far, they've been pretty standalone episodes, uh, but I, I think there's another thing going on that they've been dropping a few little tidbits and hints about. So, um, so yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, so there's always tons of things to watch on television. There's always Netflix, uh, and uh, I'm kind of looking forward to the TV season kind of easing up a little bit uh, and, and then, you know, having some more time over the summer to watch some more Netflix stuff, to see movies and, and that. So, all right, we're about 20 minutes in. I think that's mostly what I wanted to cover um, to begin with. Uh, again, I would say if you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash treks and sci-fi donate maybe a dollar a month you know twelve dollars a year doesn't seem like a whole lot for four or so podcasts a month some vidcast convention coverage some special things special little tidbits and treats and stuff that i've been putting up trying to put up on the patreon feed for patreon members so um, just check that out if uh you'd like to support the show helps pay for the fees of hosting and and other things uh, going into doing the the podcast. So, all right, let's um, let's get into the episode of Star Trek. Let's just get right into it. And this episode is called "Is There in Truth No Beauty?" Uh, question mark on the end of that title. It's I think there's like three or so episodes of the original series that have a question mark in the episode title at the end, which I always found kind of an interesting little thing to do. Uh, and and it's a very the title fits the episode very well because this is basically about uh, the Enterprise is going to transport this ambassador, this Medusan ambassador called Kolos. Kolos? I have a hard try. Try have a hard time with his name. K O L L O S. Kolos. 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 Yeah, that guy. The guy in the little box. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, the 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 very in your face kind of point of this episode somewhat is the Medusan ambassador is 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 basically the Medusan race or, or beings are so hideous so ugly to to humans that if you see them if you see them in their true form without any kind of you know whatever protection or something um, it will drive you crazy. They're so hideous and so ugly that it'll drive you insane, which is a very interesting concept when you think about it. We're just not, we're just not talking about somebody or something that's just got like a funny head or funny ears or funny whatever. Uh, but but they're so 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 hideous to to humans that they will drive them insane. So the um, they are assigned the the Enterprise is assigned to uh, just basically get help get Kolos and his companion uh who's traveling with him miranda jones who is a human uh back to the medusan home world so he's in this little case this little box and and spock being a vulcan at least half vulcan 
with the aid of this sort of red tinted visor is 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 able to um to view him you know possibly so anyway um the episode starts out where spock is going to be beaming uh, the ambassador uh colos and um Miranda aboard the Enterprise. So here's a uh, here's a clip from the beginning of Is There in Truth No Beauty? Captain's log, stardate 5630.7. We have been assigned to convey the Medusans' ambassador to the Federation back to their home planet. While the thoughts of the Medusans are the most sublime in the galaxy, their physical appearance is exactly the opposite. They have evolved into a race of beings who are formless, so utterly hideous, that the sight of a Medusan brings total madness to any human who sees one. Mr. Marvin. I'm James Kirk, the captain. Captain, what are you doing here? You'll have to leave before the Medusan ambassador. Yes, everything will be taken care of. This is Mr. Spock, my first officer. Oh, yes, you're the Vulcan. It's all right for you to remain, but uh, you, captain, and this other gentleman. Montgomery Scott, chief engineer. Call me Scotty. Mr. Spock, do you have the visor? Must be sure to wear it. Humans who get even a glimpse of Medusans have gone insane. Thank you, Mr. Marvick. I shall be wearing the visor. We mustn't keep the ambassador waiting. If you'll go with Mr. Scott, I'm sure the two of you will have a great deal in common. Aye, indeed. It's a rare privilege meeting one of the designers of the Enterprise. Lieutenant Uhura, open a channel to transporter control center on the planet. Aye, sir. This is Captain Kirk. Inform the ambassador and Dr. Jones. We're ready to beam them aboard. Kirk out. Are you sure this visor will work? It has proved effective for Vulcans. It's your human half I'm worried about. I shall endeavor to keep it under control. Inform me when transport is complete. Ambassador Collis, I am First Officer Spock. I'm Dr. Jones. The Ambassador is most honored to meet you, Mr. Spock. So they get the ambassador aboard uh, along with Miranda, and Spock um, takes her, takes them to the, the her quarters and all that. Um, the quarters they're going to stay at. Uh, the uh, let me give you a little bit of other background in this episode that I forgot to say at the beginning. There, um, this is um, near the beginning of season three, the seventh episode of season three. Uh, it is it first aired uh, on October eighteenth, nineteen sixty eight, the remastered edition. Uh, is was first aired on March twenty second two thousand and eight, and again a third season episode. It was um, the story was uh, from a, a submitted like spec script. Um, it was written by Jean Lisette Ariost, something like that. Ariost, A R O E S T E, directed by Ralph Sineski, who was a, a Definitely a contributor to um, directing, you know, a few Star Trek episodes over the years. Uh, and a couple of key things about this episode 
overall. Uh, first, a uh, great um, guest star with uh, Diana Mulder back as Dr. Miranda Jones. Um, and we have another uh, guest star, David Frankham, uh, who is playing Larry Marvick uh, in this episode as well. Now, of course, Diana Mulder has a um, has a history with Star Trek, right? She was in uh, a previous episode. Uh, she was in the episode Return uh, to Tomorrow. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> which is a little bit funny because... Uh, there are shows in, in 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 that era of television where they used they would use sometimes actors again in in multiple roles in in a show, but Star Trek tried not to do that, uh, but they uh, but they decided uh, to bring in Diana here to play, and they gave her a little different look, you know, in the episode, a little different hair color and so forth, um, because. Um, one of the things about this episode, or one of the about the casting thing, they were first trying to get Jessica Walter uh, to uh, to play Miranda Jones, the actress Jessica Walter, who uh, voices on the the current animated show Archer, uh, a really great actress, and I could see her in this role, uh, but she became unavailable. That was the one they were first going to use, uh, but um, but the uh, the director Ralph Sineski suggested Diana Mulder because he had worked with her on the episode Return to Tomorrow, uh, and and then the you know so they kind of changed her look a little bit, and and then they I guess supposedly they even joked uh, that hey maybe they should bring her back for the fourth season, which is sort of an interesting uh, prelude because of course uh, all the Trekkies out there all the Trek fans know of course that Diana Mulder. The actress, uh, she um, went on to play Pulaski, right? She played Catherine Pulaski on the sec- in the second season of Star Trek: The Next Generation. After the whole thing with uh, Gates McFadden and 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 that, you know, where where she had a little falling out with something happened with the show's producers. Who knows? There's a lot of little weird things. Uh, M- Maurice Hurley, I think, was. Uh, was especially had had trouble with the Gates, um, but but so Gates was out for the second season, and and um, Diana Mulder was brought in as Catherine Pulaski. So she's had definitely had some Star Trek uh, history throughout her career, although she didn't. You know, the story goes she didn't really like uh, her time on the second season of Next Gen. I think it was hard to come in to it to a cast that was already established, and the people probably kind of resented her because. I think the cast always liked Gates and, and, you know, so it was hard, I'm sure, on her and, and everyone a little bit. But uh, and then eventually, of course, Gates came back in season three and then, uh, you know, Ka- uh, Catherine Pulaski was gone and so was Diana Mulder. But in this episode, which is what we're talking about, really, is in there is there in truth no beauty? She plays she plays a telepath, a human telepath. Who is accompanying uh, the Medusa Ambassador Kalos on this, uh, you know, trip aboard the Enterprise? And the next clip that I want to play for you, they, uh, you know, anytime the Enterprise brings people aboard, guest stars, ambassadors, whatever, it's time for a little dinner party, right? Time for a little socializing, usually with Kirk, especially if it's a there's a female involved. Um, you know, hey, let's, let's break out the dress uniforms and 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 eat some weird looking food and drink some blue liquid or whatever. So, uh, so that's what this next clip is about, where they're having a little conversation over dinner uh, with um, 
with Miranda there. And uh, while Carlos, Carlos, gosh darn it, <laughs> is sitting back in his little box in his quarters. Uh, like, you know, what does he do in that box? I don't know. But anyway, here's this clip. I can't understand why they let you go with Carlos. Hey, Captain. The male population of the Federation. Didn't someone try and talk you out of it? Now that you ask, yes. Well, I'm glad he didn't succeed. Otherwise, I wouldn't have met you. Thank you, Captain. Tell me, Dr. Jones, why isn't it dangerous for you to be with Carlos? Spark, I can understand. Nothing makes an impression on him. Why, thank you, Captain. You're very welcome, Mr. Spark. But as I understand it, no human can look at Collis, even with a visor, without going mad. How do you manage? I spent four years on Vulcan studying their mental discipline. You poor girl. On the contrary, Doctor. I would say that Dr. Jones was indeed fortunate. Vulcan is not my idea of fun. Joy can be many things, Doctor. On Vulcan, I learned to do things impossible to learn anywhere else. To read minds? How not to read them, Captain? I don't understand. Dr. Jones was born a telepath, Captain. Oh. Vulcan was necessary to my sanity. What most humans generally find impossible to understand is the need to shut out the bedlam of other people's thoughts and emotions. Or of their own thoughts and emotions. You know, I was just noticing your Vulcan edic, Mr. Spark. Is it a reminder that as a Vulcan you can mind link with the Medusans far better than I could. Well, I doubt that Mr. Spock would don the most revered of all Vulcan symbols merely to annoy you, Dr. Jones. As a matter of fact, I wear it this evening to honor you, Doctor. Indeed. Yeah, it's very interesting. I might even say fascinating. But back to your mission. Doctor, do you feel any way may be found to employ Medusan navigators on starships? It would certainly solve many of our navigational problems. Well, the key is the mind link that I learned on Vulcan. Now, once we have learned the technique of forming a corporate intelligence with the Medusans, the designers, that's where Larry comes in, can work on adapting instruments. I don't care how benevolent the Medusans are supposed to be. Isn't it suicidal to deal with something ugly enough to drive man mad? Why do you do it? I see, Dr. McCoy, that you still subscribe to the outmoded notion promulgated by your ancient Greeks that what is good must also be beautiful. And the reverse, of course, that what is beautiful is automatically expected to be good. Yes, I think most of us are attracted by beauty and repelled by ugliness, one of the last of our prejudices. Yeah, there's there's some really interesting things brought up in this episode about, you know, beauty and, you know, something that's... Um, that's beautiful is good, and, and if it's ugly, it's got to be bad and evil, right, or whatever. I mean, I guess the opposite would have to be true, right? Uh, interesting, you know, things about, um, you know, these days, you know, and, and for a long time, there, there's been this um, ongoing thing about beauty, right, that, that people place too much on people's appearances and that, you know, young girls always are trying to look like supermodels, you know, and, and not eating right. And, you know, there's there's just been throughout a long, for a long time in history, you know, there there are, um, there's a lot of emphasis about people's appearances and and what, what that ends up meaning for their life, right? What that ends up meaning for their career, for their life, how people uh, respond to them. Uh, you know, I... You know, I've always felt even just frankly being a tall guy, you know, a very, you know, tall person, 
that that, you know, whether that's good or bad, it doesn't even matter. There's no good or bad. There's just, it, it, it influences how people perceive a person, right? Or how they, you know, oh, you're tall, you, you know, and they, I think there've even been, you know, these reports about people that are, you know, CEOs and, and heads of companies all tend to be taller people, taller men, of course, you know, because there's so many more men in those kinds of positions than women, which isn't right, of course. But so I, I like this episode because it makes you think it's it, it's honestly not a favorite of mine. I, I think it's a sort of simple idea and story, and it's kind of a little in your face a bit. But I think, of course, in Star Trek, I think they handle it pretty, pretty well. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about the dinner party this is one of the times where the, the Vulcan edict symbol is brought um, brought to the forefront, where Spock is wearing it at the little dinner party. And there's a little blurb here on the, the, the little page on uh, Memory Alpha that I'm looking at on the wiki for this episode, where one of the, you know, the behind-the-scenes stories about the edict and the little medallion symbol that Spock is wearing was that Gene Roddenberry really... Everyone always goes to the Edic and said, you know, says things about Star Trek and say, oh, isn't that great infinite diversity and infinite combinations about, in other words, you know, we should we should embrace everyone of all different types, species, cultures, looks, whatever personalities, you know, embrace diversity, let's call it that. But the story behind the scenes a little bit is that Gene Roddenberry actually wanted to sell these little medallions through, um, this this very early Star Trek um, memorabilia company that he started uh, with with Majel called Lincoln Enterprises, which way way back in the day I even ordered a few things from. Uh, that the uh, so he said he was trying to use the show to to basically product placement a bit and, and create a um, create a little item that people could buy right. But I, I like the you know the the idea behind it. You know, without that, you know, set that aside for a second. You know, of course, the this Vulcan medallion idea, I think, is well handled. So, I, I, the story here that I'm reading is that um, the main actors, especially um, Shatner, Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly, you know, they all they got kind of upset over this. They felt like this was kind of beneath the show. Like, in other words, they shouldn't be hawking this. And and so the edict symbol was, I guess, that was more. There was more film and more footage and and it was more in your face than you even see in the final episode but they kind of toned it down a bit so uh just a little interesting behind the scenes thing you know the the um merchandising back then was not like it is these days you know they'll they'll do anything they no you know there's no shame in television or movies these days to to i the one thing i noticed on television especially these days i see it on like shows like 24 a lot and things is the automobiles they they'll they'll just show you know them right in your face like look at what my new you know ford you know ford explorer can do or my new chevy equinox can do in this in this scene and they show the logo they show the little navigation system or or whatever so uh you know i i can't really complain about the edict in star trek from 50 years ago when it was pretty subtle and and they had a pretty good idea behind it when you've got you know 
soda drinks and, and cars and, and, and who knows, whatever, clothing, whatever, completely in your face in, in movies and TV these days. Uh, you know, go watch, like, the new Transformers movie when it comes out or any of the Transformers movies. I mean, there's just – it's all over the place. And it's a money thing. It helps pay for entertainment, helps pay for the television shows, and helps pay for the movies. So it kind of goes with it. Um, all right, let me see what the next clip is that I recorded. I'm looking at my little cheat sheet here. Um, okay, so so we're back to the episode. They finish the dinner party, and uh, Larry uh, goes to pay a visit to Miranda, and it becomes pretty qu- quickly clear and obvious that Larry kind of is in love with Miranda. And he is an engineer. He was actually, there's a little side thing that goes on in this episode where he is actually someone that helped design the um, the Enterprise, design starships. So Scotty and him kind of hit it off a bit. And, uh, oh, this is an episode two where you get to see Scotty in his full Scottish garb, uh, dressed uniform at the dinner, which, which only happens a couple times throughout Star Trek's uh, history. So that's kind of cool. So this next little clip is with Larry and Miranda in her quarters. Why did I ever meet you? I've been honest with you. I simply cannot love you the way you want me to. Miranda. And I'm going away with Carlos. That's final. I think you'd better leave now. that it was you before. Who is it you want to kill, Larry? Is it me? You mustn't keep this to yourself. I want to help you. So now you want to help me? Now I know what a mere human male has to do to get a reaction out of you. Make you think he's a patient. Great psychologist. Why don't you try being a woman for a change? Yeah, he, uh, you know, Larry is, uh, you know, he's just kind of getting a little, you know, upset. So um, he, uh, uh, Miranda, since she's a telepath, she picks up on that somebody wants to 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 hurt Colos uh, and Colos uh, Colos Colos. That's how you say it, Colos. Um, and it turns out to be Larry. So he, after he gets kind of rejected by Miranda, he kind of you know pouts and storms off, and then he goes to where where Colos is uh, in his quarters in his little box there on a little pedestal, and uh, decides I'm gonna. I'm going to zap him with a phaser and kill him. I, and, of course, his little box thing opens and the little sparkly lights happen, which is a real cool effect, I think. I think it's a neat way to... I think my impression has always been you're actually not just seeing uh, what 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 Kolos looks like with your eyes. You're, you're seeing him in your mind a bit, too. You know, there's there's no way they could have created a creature or created anything real visual and say, oh, look how ugly that is. It makes you go crazy. This was a very, I, I thought, an elegant way to handle 
this um, this idea that you're seeing something that you just you're you, it's almost not just ugliness. It's just your mind can't grasp it and comprehend it, so it makes you go kind of nuts. And and Larry's in there trying to kill uh, Kolos, and and then he, it it um, it causes him to go you know a little loopy and bonkers and. So he runs down to engineering and and then uh, tries to take control of the Enterprise and uh, and sends the Enterprise off. W- what he feels like I, he needs to get away, like is is his reaction to seeing Kolos is is just he needs to run away and that 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 means take the Enterprise into a very uncharted area of space, basically leave the galaxy and uh, and that's this next clip that uh, you're gonna hear right now. They're all yours. And the bottle of scotch will be in your room this evening, if you can handle them. Captain Kirk to all ship personnel, red alert. An attempt was made to murder Ambassador Collis. The murderer is dangerously insane. He is Lawrence Marvick. Be on the watch for him. Kirk out. Yeah, so that's not good. That uh, that happens, and <laughs> so the Enterprise is is been maneuvered and warped so quickly away from where they were that it's basically they. I, I view it as like you're in the in deep woods and you're spun around three times and shoved a certain direction, and you have no compass that works or any reference point, and the Enterprise is out here not not being able to navigate and get back to where it needs to be you know any direction that all looks the same so the um what um they come up with this idea the medusans are supposed to be excellent navigators and have navigated and mapped areas of the of the galaxy and space that that even you know starfleet has not seen or, or anything yet so spot comes up with the idea that if he mind melds with 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 kolos even though Miranda has been wanting and trying to do that and has been working, you know, her life basically to that point, she hasn't yet. But Spock being a a better probably telepath and and certainly more experienced in doing a mind meld, he creates this idea or has this idea of fusing his mind with Kolos in order to put Kolos' consciousness sort of in Spock's body, 
which would allow him to bring the Enterprise back to where it needs to be. But uh, Miranda kind of confronts the, the team and says, well, you know, no, don't do that. I, I should do that. And that that is when one of the big surprises of this episode comes out and it is the fact that Miranda is actually blind, and which, which when you think about it, uh, they, they never really question too much how a human, when humans supposedly go mad when they just get a glimpse of, of Kolos or Medusans, how Miranda would be, you know, being fully human, work around them. She, at the beginning of the episode, she's wearing the visor when she transports aboard, which is supposed to work on Vulcans, but she's not Vulcan. She's human. So that's, they never really seem to question it. But now we learn at this point in the episode that the reason it doesn't bother her is, and I and I guess it's more than, you know, I was saying earlier that you see Kolos in, in your mind. I, I guess a lot of it most, must be more visual because if you're blind, you, you know, that protects her. And if she's seeing him in his mind, if that would make you go nuts. But I don't know. I, 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 I think there's a bit of a mix there. So anyway, this clip uh, is when Miranda's secret is exposed. Why put yourself in jeopardy? This is not a duty that you can assume. I'm aware of the fact that your telepathic competence might be superior to mine. But there is a more important factor. The object is to pilot this ship. That is something you cannot do. Then teach me to operate the ship. I can memorize instantly. Now, wait a minute. I realize that you can do almost anything a sighted person can do, but you can't pilot a starship. What? Fascinating. I'm sorry, Miranda, but you must be realistic. You are blind, and there are some things you simply cannot do. Evidently a highly sophisticated sensor web. My compliments to you, and to your dressmaker. Yes, of course. It's the only reasonable explanation. You can't see, and cause can't hurt you. An elegant solution. But I fail to understand you apparently tried to conceal your blindness, Dr. Jones. I think I understand. You said it. Pity is the worst of all. Pity? Which I hate. Do you think you can gather more information with your eyes than I can with my sensors? I could play tennis with you, Captain Kirk. I might even beat you. I am standing exactly one meter, four centimeters from the door. Can you judge distance that accurately? I can even tell you how fast your heart is beating. No, that won't be necessary. So it, it's determined that Spock is the one that needs to meld with uh, Kolos, and because of you know his ability to work the controls of the Enterprise and navigate and so forth. The interesting thing about this, you know, they, they make this point of saying Miranda's blind, she wouldn't be able to do the controls, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But um, but then later in Next Gen, we got Geordi piloting the Enterprise, right, with a with a visor, uh, which I guess is a little bit better than Miranda's little sensor web that she's wearing. Uh, but the I, I like the idea here and the concept. Um, they sort of, there's a, this 
you know, in the future, they're, you know, they sort of make up for it. Well, well, you know what? We're going to put a blind guy flying the Enterprise, which I always loved about Next Gen when that happened. Although Jordy eventually, of course, becomes chief engineer and, you know, we get more Wes, uh, Wesley flying the Enterprise. So uh, where are we at? Okay, so the, yeah, we're getting, yeah, kind of near the end. Well, a little bit left. The... The next scene, of course, and, and one of the cool parts of this episode is after after Spock uh, joins his mind with, with Kolos, uh, the, we get the sort of what I call new Spock, where where he's a little more emotional, a little more uh, relaxed, not, not as Vulcan-like, because he's got this alien personality inside of him. So uh, the next clip I'm going to play illustrates that, uh, which I, I've always found one of the fun parts of this episode. This is delightful. I know you. All of you. James Kirk. Captain and friend for many years. And Leonard McCoy. (laughs) Also of long acquaintance. And Uhura. Whose name means freedom. She walks in beauty like the night. That's not Spock. Are you surprised to find that I've read Byron, Doctor? That's Spock. Am I addressing the ambassador? In part. That is, part of us is known to you as Kolos. Ah, Miranda. There you are. I'm a brave new world that has such creatures in it. Tis new to thee. next for us. Captain Kirk, I speak for all of us you call Medusans. I am sorry for the trouble I've brought to your ship. We don't hold you to blame for what happened and thank you now for your help. And now, to the business at hand, with your permission, Captain. Yes, Mr. Sullivan, release the helm to Mr. Spock. Aye, sir. is completed. Then go ahead, Mr. Spock. Warp one in six seconds. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Next up is, uh, well, so uh, so after Spock, you know, with Kolos uh, helping, you know, they get the Enterprise back to where it's supposed to be, very, very close to where it used to be. The um, Spock is uh, has to go back and, and uh, you know, let Kolos out of his mind, but um, he forgets the little red-tinted visor, and that makes a, that, that causes a big problem. <laughs> the... the there's always been this thought of, and, and it's mentioned even in the episode itself, that did Miranda 
do that? You know, did somehow she she make him forget to bring the visor with him when he went back to um, to break the meld, break this fusion of the minds between Spock and Kolos? I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, I, I, I always thought more likely that their minds being merged like that uh, and, and Kolos being kind of a little bit more in control, it seemed, he said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Kolos, I'm Medusa, and I don't need a visor because the, the, my appearance doesn't bother me or whatever. I, you, can view it, you can view it a few different ways, but that's the way I've always seen it. So the, uh, the next clip that I've got for you is the, that, um, that business about the, uh, you know, hey, the visor's missing. Don't look, Spock, don't look. Don't move. Yeah. No one is to move. Spock, are you all right? Get him to sick bay. And then they have this, uh, at, you know, when Spock and that has that thing happen, they have to fight him a little bit because he's going wackadoodle and uh, wackadoodle, wackadoodle. <laughs> he's going bonkers, Vulcan crazy. And of course, he's a Vulcan, so he's throwing everybody around the bridge. And, and even one of the one of the extra guys, Eddie Paskey, uh, got hurt in this scene, I guess. Uh, so um, Kirk phasers him, stuns him. And then he's in sick bay, and Kirk convinces Miranda to meld. Uh, there's a good scene. I didn't capture the clip, but there's a scene where, where Kirk is confronting Miranda, saying, you know, all these nasty things kind of about her to, to, you know, to make her realize you know, maybe she's a little jealous of Spock and whatever, and that she needs to help him. So um, her being also, a, you know, a telepath and can mind meld, she she helps um, fix Spock's brain, basically. Spock's brain? Brain and brain. What is brain? Uh, <laughs> she's uh, She then, uh, which appears to be a relatively pretty quick and easy scene, but uh, Kirk has to convince her to do this. So the next clip here is... Uh, uh, her her um, helping Spock get back to normal. Now, Spock, this is to the death or to life for both of us.
You look like you've paid a visit to the devil himself. Miranda. And the last clip here, the last one, of course, that that, that fixes everything. And uh, Spock and Kirk uh, go to the transporter room to see off uh, Miranda and Kolos. And and then um, Spock's wearing his visor. And Kirk gives uh, Miranda a rose, uh, which uh, is pretty symbolic, I thought. That's kind of nice. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice little end to the episode, a nice scene. And I think... Um, I'm kind of glad that, you know, even though Kirk sort of, yeah, I don't know if he tries really that much in this episode, but he really doesn't end up getting, this isn't another one of Kirk's girls or Kirk's conquests here at all. Miranda is pretty, uh, she's all about the work and the business at hand and, and helping, uh, you know, being in a helping ambassador Carlos. And so he's, uh, he just kind of sees her off. No little huggy kissy, nothing like that. Huggy kissy. What am I? Three, 13, 11, 10? I don't know. I'm just goofy. That's what I am. All right. Uh, so here's the last part of uh, Is There In Truth No Beauty? We've come to the end of an eventful trip, Captain. I didn't think you'd even talk to me. Well, I have you to thank for my future. Your words enabled me to see. Miranda, good luck. Health. I have something for you. I suppose it has thorns. I never met a rose that didn't. I know now the great joy you felt when you joined minds with Carlos. I rejoice in your knowledge and in your achievement. I understand, Mr. Spock. The glory of creation is in its infinite diversity. And the ways our differences combine to create meaning and beauty. Peace and long life, Spock. Live long and prosper, Miranda. wraps up this episode uh i i like it i think uh as i've i think gotten a little older i think i appreciate this one more than i did when i was younger uh it, again it wasn't one of my favorites but i i've come to appreciate the, the you know i think the story and the message a bit more the um the episode title is actually from a poem by a 17th century english poet and clergyman george herbert 
from his poem, po- sorry, from his poem Jordan, line two, it says, "Who says that fictions only in false hair become a verse? Is there in truth no beauty?" Question um, mark. Again, it was by um, the script here was an unsolicited script that Robert Justman read and liked. One of the you know he's one of the executive producers. Uh, there's um, yeah, a lot, a lot here. I think uh, it's a real interesting idea and concept, and I think it's handled well and has a great guest star. You know, uh, uh, Diana Mulder. I, I love seeing her in this episode. She was great uh, in this one and in Return to Tomorrow, and as Pulaski too. I thought uh, she's a great actress, and uh, love seeing her here again. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. I hope you guys enjoyed this look at um, brief look at Is There in Truth No Beauty from the third season of the original Star Trek series. All right, I'm going to play a little something special for you now, and then I'll come back and wrap up the show. Vartok, our resident musical uh, expert, uh, sent in a, um, a musical look at uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so um, I'm going to play that uh, what he sent in for This is about nine minutes, I think. So that'll take us pretty much to the end of the show, and I'll just come back and wrap up things after this clip of music from Guardians of the Galaxy with Vartok. So I will be back in a few. Take it away, Vartok. I am Vartok. I am Vartok. I am Vartok. Hello, everyone. This is Vartok again with another Treks in Sci-Fi Music Moment. One soundtrack and a few words. If you were quick to pick up on my intro for today's moment, I'm going to talk about the music behind the film opening this weekend that all of you Treks and Sci-Fi fans are dying to see, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. As in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, which I guess we could now label Volume 1, two separate CD soundtracks have been released, and also for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. One CD for the original score by composer Tyler Bates, and a second CD soundtrack with all of the other popular music soundtracks. Both were released by Hollywood Records on April 17, 2017, and you can download both soundtracks now from iTunes for $9.99. Composer Tyler Bates was born June 5, 1965, in Los Angeles, California, making him 51 years old today. His creative efforts include film scores, video game scores, rock music, and he is also a music producer. Tyler also plays electric guitar. He has been active since 1993 with his first film score to the film Blue Flame. Tyler Bates has scored more than 60 feature films, hundreds of episodes of television, major studio video games, and artist records. Bates has more than 20 commercially released film soundtrack albums, several of which debuted number one at the box office. Since 2006, Bates has collaborated with director James Gunn on five films, including the score for Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014. Having worked with James Gunn in the past, Bates had a good idea on how Gunn wanted things done. Before any of the cinematography started, Gunn had Bates write several themes prior to shooting so the scene could be matched to the music instead of the score being created to fit the scene. 
This required a fair bit of cooperation between Bates and Gunn in advance, since these scores would not only be the final piece instead of a temporary filler acting as a placeholder, but they also influenced the actual performance of everyone on set. This amount of work and effort required a massive undertaking by both Bates and his team. For four months, they clocked upwards of 100-hour work weeks to produce the score. After all the work, they had a total of 29 different soundtracks, giving a combined total of 64 hours and 34 minutes of music. The original soundtrack release included 44 minutes, or 1% of that effort. Wow, supporting director Gunn is a whole lot of work. By August 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 writer and director James Gunn had, quote, some ideas listed, but nothing for sure, in terms of the popular songs he would include in Quill's Awesome Mix Volume 2 mixtape. In April 2015, director Gunn said he felt a little pressure for the soundtrack because so many people loved the first film soundtrack and we went platinum and all that other stuff but I feel like the soundtrack in the second one is better. One of the most exciting things for Gunn in selecting the songs for the album was knowing that I would be making bands that may have been forgotten suddenly be a topic of conversation. You betcha. Now get this. Marvel and Doritos partnered for the Rock Out Loud campaign to create a custom-designed, limited-edition series of Dorito bags featuring a built-in cassette tape deck-inspired player in a box that plays Awesome Mix Volume 2 and can be recharged. The custom bags were available to purchase just last week on April 28, 2017 on Amazon.com. Those music-playing bags are long gone. However, of course, they are readily available on eBay for $110 to $500, with seemingly quite a few still available. What do you say, Rico? That would be a cool addition to your sci-fi collectibles collection. Bartok just ordered his. Of course, I'm not going to pick one of the popular songs of the past for today's music moment. After all, you are probably familiar with most of those songs. Instead, I'm going to select a track by composer Tyler Bates. Now, the majority of Tyler's 19 tracks for Volume 2 are fast-paced action themes to match the action on the screen. However, I have chosen track number 16 titled Dad for today's music moment. I just love the sweeping orchestral sounds and the choir accompaniment. It starts out with an introspective feel of emotion, builds and builds, and then resolves itself. Just great. Let's see what you think. Here is Tyler's track, Dad.
Well, I hope you enjoyed this music and sci-fi music moment. And now back to you, Rico. Oh, and I just couldn't end this moment without playing just a bit of David Hasselhoff's contribution in Guardian's Inferno, available as track number 14 on the popular music CD soundtrack. It turns out that Hasselhoff was a strong influence on director James Gunn. So here is part of Guardian's Inferno. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Awesome music. You know, uh, I I love the music in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Really great stuff. So thank you for that, Vartok. Appreciate it very much. Uh, I hope you can do another guest spot sometime soon on another composer. Those are always fantastic. All right. Uh, That's about it, folks, for this week of Treks and Sci-Fi. Next week there'll be a guest cast. Uh, Maybe another look at a classic sci-fi film if Mark is up for that. i got to check with him. Uh, that'll be uh, for the 14th of May. The 21st weekend of that, 2021st weekend, uh, there won't be a show. Uh, I am going to be going to the Motor City Comic Con that weekend, so no show that weekend. But the following weekend, uh, which will be Memorial Day weekend here in, in the United States, uh, May 28th, I will put out a vidcast for um, Motor City Comic Con, which is what I like to do each year. So uh, that'll be coming up for the rest of the month of May. Uh, again, everyone, Take care. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Check out Patreon if you'd like to support the show. Uh, you can always email me at treksf at <laughs> treksfsf at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group. Uh, like the Facebook page for Treks and Sci-Fi too, and throw a review up in iTunes. All those good things always uh, are great to see. So uh, that's it. Go see Guardians of the Galaxy two volume two if you haven't seen it yet. And I will talk to you guys again soon. Won't be for a few weeks, but uh, you can always talk to me over on the Facebook group or, or, or even the forum. There's a, still a few little straggly people that are straggly people. <laughs> uh, I, I still update things on the good old forum because I like to have a record of stuff like, you know, when the new shows, what new shows are coming out. I usually put an upcoming schedule thing there and, and some stuff. I, and I want to put up all the photos from Celebration over on my Flickr page, but I haven't got around to it yet. I'm still 
I'm still behind, way behind putting up pictures on Flickr. I, I've, I've still not, I think I got one of the Austin Comic Cons still to put up. It's uh, just so many things to do. So, all right, everyone, take care. I will talk to you again soon and live long and prosper as Spock and, uh, well, and as the edict symbolizes, I think. Well, partially. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Take care, everyone. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dusty podcast production.